This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Mile High Five podcast. My name is Doug Cunnington, and I have a special co-host today, Amberly Grant. Hello. How's it going? Excellent. Today is Wednesday or Thursday? Probably one. Of, it's Thursday today. Okay, and I put pants on, so it's going great. great. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And this is the start of a few episodes we're going to work on together. I don't know. I think we have like six ideas or something like that. And we'll, we'll see where it goes. Carl's on a kind of a hiatus. So he'll be popping in here and there. He hasn't left the show or anything like that, but Amberly just moved to town and we were actually chatting before recording that you have some work to do. So there's a couple, we, we can spend a whole series of episodes, but what are like a couple top things that you're working on right now this week, maybe? Yeah. So we just bought a house and the house is in a bit rougher shape than we had anticipated and knew about because we bought it sight unseen. And so actually this week we are working on insulating the ductwork and the um, lines for the water because turns out you have a furnace in a crawl space that's quite cold. It doesn't really get warm upstairs. So that's our number one goal. We also have been removing popcorn ceiling, uh, popcorn from the ceiling. So scraping that off, mudding it, sanding it, mudding it, sanding it, priming it, painting, painting. And we've got, what, 1,700 square feet to do, and we've got probably about half of it done. So some pretty monster tasks. <laughs> Wow, that and you're a new mom as well, right? Yeah, I've got a four-month-old. <laughs> okay, yeah. So kind of busy, and it makes me feel extremely lazy. Yeah, like I don't think I should be taking on guitar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you shouldn't. And that that'll, uh, by the way, that's the sound check reference. So yeah. stick around to the very end. We talk about guitar and a new hobby that you're not going to be getting into. Correct. So I'm excited to have you on board. So thanks a lot for spending time with me. And this uh, episode was actually your idea. We have a kind of a series on death and dying and the related topics. So today we're going to talk about preparing to die, which um, unfortunately we're all going to die. We all, we all know that. And it's a kind of a tough thing to think about. I think culturally, like some people are a lot more adver adverse to it, but we're going to talk about it, dig in. Hopefully neither of us will start crying, but if it happens, then... <laughs> It happens. So we're going to talk about death in general and our experience growing up and yeah. maybe how it shaped us uh, as adults, dealing with the death of a friend who happened to also be a tenant. So that maybe introduces some complications. So we're going to get into that. We'll also talk about what we're, we're thankful for, things that we think maybe that we've done a decent job in our lives and things that we probably need to do. And we will encourage people to look at themselves as well. We'll also talk about a death binder and advice from a hospice chaplain. So a lot of uh, heavy, st heavy stuff. So we'll try to keep it light, as light as we can. So Amber, you want to kick it off with your experiences with uh, death growing up? Yes, I have an aunt. She is a hospice chaplain. 
And so what that means is she goes around to people who are dying and helps them to kind of come to terms with their life, what death looks like for them and their maybe religion. She's uh, kind of agnostic when it comes to which religion she works with and also deals with their grieving families. So she does grief counseling classes for people. And this is my, of course, very close aunt. So I hear about this all the time, which is really fortunate for me because the topic of death and dying has not been an uncomfortable one throughout my life. I have actually come to embrace the idea that I will perish. Um, and the best thing I can do is make sure that I live life to the fullest and prepare for it uh, when it does come. And one of the ways that I've been able to kind of get very comfortable with this is my aunt, she lives in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, and every time she picked me up from the airport, it was a joke because for some reason, she'd happen to have a funeral that she'd have to go to. So she'd pick me up from the airport or she had to drop me off. And so we'd have to stop off at a funeral so that she could officiate the fu funeral. So I would sit in the back um, respectfully, just you know, sitting there making sure that I'm quiet and uh, listening to you know people's stories about their loved ones listening to her talk about the loved ones from like the chaplain perspective of what is dying and you know how do we come together with this um, experience and I've gone to at least four funerals because of her and that really helped me to feel comfortable in this space um, comfortable to talk to those loved ones if they came up to me and asked me questions um, and just kind of hold a space for them so to me, it's a very unique experience because not a lot of people, when normally when it's death, it's like someone you love and you're in that um, in that experience, in that funeral and crying, where for me, I got to see it from an outsider's perspective. What uh, ages were you for those? You said f at least four funerals. Yeah. yeah. How old were you for those? So this is when I moved to the United States. So between 19 and like 28. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So later on in life. And then, yeah, so before that, did you have, did you go to funerals? Did you have like grandparents die or any other like distant family members or something? I had one grandfather die in grade five, but I think I was a bit detached from the experience because it took me about three years to actually start grieving it. Um, and my grandpa and I were, were pretty close. But first, I was had a lot of personal stuff going on with family at that time. And so I think I couldn't really fully understand or experience it until years later when I saw a photo of him. And I just broke down crying, realizing like, oh, yeah, he's gone. Um, and other than that, no close friends um, or family members. I've actually been fortunate in that way where I've got to spend as much time as I can with the people around me. Um, and then I had an aunt pass away when I was around 21 years old, who I was really close with, um, and at that point I'd been to a couple funerals, had been talking with my other aunt. So I felt quite comfortable with the experience. Got it. Okay. And then on my side, especially like sort of the, I guess the funeral angle of it. So I had a cousin that died when I was six years old. He was older. He was like 18 and he was in like a motorcycle accident. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I mean, I remember like going to the hospital and a couple things like that. And I mean, I, obviously I knew it was significant, but you know, six years old, you really don't know. But actually, I mean, I remember my parents saying like, Oh, your cousin's been in an accident. Like he's pretty hurt. We're going to go to the hospital. There's going to be a funeral, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm thinking about it, I, barely remember the funeral i think i remember maybe the casket and a couple other details but nothing too vivid but i mean i remember the experience and then i had a couple 
uh, grandparents died when I was in high school, but I'm half Filipino and they were actually in the Philippines. So they, they were, um, actually this is kind of a crazy story. So my grandpa was sick and they knew he had cancer, did not have much time left. So he was on a plane going back to the Philippines. He actually passed away on the plane. No way. Yeah. So he passed away on the plane and then he had the funeral there. My grandmother was with him and then she stayed for a couple more years until she passed away. And then I I wasn't there to experience that. My mom actually went back um, in the last few days with my grandma. And then fast forward a few more years in 2007, my other grandma who was in the States, she died, um, crazy enough, lifelong smoker. Mm-hmm. Like she smoked for like whatever, 50 years or something like that. And then she lived to be like 87. Right. Finally, lung cancer did get her, but like really, I mean, I know people that got lung cancer where they were like 45 or something like yeah. that from smoking 20 years. So yep. decent genes. I don't, I'm not sure. Right. At least on one side of the family. So kind of remember visiting her in hospice. And now that I'm talking about it at the time, we had a, a dog that was, so we don't have kids, but we, we like dogs and we had a border collie who was, we got him registered as a therapy dog. So I actually took him to the hospice area and he was able to visit and like other people, you know, the other people that were in hospice, as well as the uh, employees and nurses, like they all appreciate seeing like a dog. Dog is usually like pretty happy thing for people to see out there. Yeah. Um, the funeral, you know, she was old, smoked a lot. So it was fine. And she had like a, a pretty long life. So um, fast forward. So I'm just talking about all the people that died in my life. Finally, my mom uh, passed away two years ago from cancer and... I was there at, it was like a home hospice situation. So I spent probably like the last five days there. My, one of my sisters was there and my dad and we like took care of my mom and we had um, like, I don't know, like the dying kid. I don't know what it's called, but there's like some morphine in there and some other like drugs to make the person feel more comfortable. But she was in rough shape and a lot of pain. So that was rough, but also extremely valuable to like, get together as a family to like take care mm-hmm. of the dying family member versus just like outsourcing it to, which I, I don't judge anyone if like you don't have the ability, but I had the ability. Mm-hmm. My sister did, my dad, like we were all helping out and we actually were trying to get her into like a facility, but you know, the insurance company was like, if you could do it, like keep doing it. And then, mm-hmm. you know, finally, once we got her in, she died that day. Yeah. Um, and it was rough. I mean, I was there when she died. My dad and a, a chaplain and one of their other friends, they were fairly active in the church that they went to. Mm-hmm. So they had um, one of their you know close friends do the last rites and stuff like that. Yeah. So that was you know really intense. Um, she had cancer for like a year or so. So we had plenty of time to, to spend and it was very intense. Good experience, very emotional, um, cried a bunch, and overall, you know, it was good, and and she was not in pain anymore. Yeah. So that's one of the big takeaways. Now, going back to some of my experiences, and I'll pause for a second. Were you about to ask something? Yeah. In your experience, having that preparation for someone who's about to die, like you've got knowledge and information that this is 
coming. Does that make it easier, do you think, than someone who's spontaneously is gone? I think maybe for me at the time, it wouldn't have mattered too much because like, and I'm not, you could correct me if I misinterpreted the context of the question, but I spent a lot of time with my mom and my parents beforehand as an adult, like Mm -hmm. the previous summer. So like we got a lot of stuff out of the way. So if any of us died um, in an immediate fashion, it probably would have been okay also because we had a lot of things in order. That said, if you don't and you have a lot of shit on your to-do list, then that would have been like, oh, I should have done all this stuff. But like there were conversations through through the summer, through the illness and all that stuff that we had. And they came... um, they came out here to visit just two weeks before she died. And they had a call with the hospice doctor who they mm-hmm. had a good, uh, you know, they, they liked her. Yeah, but good the relationship. Thing is, yeah, yeah. It's a good relationship with the, the death doctor. Yep. The, um, the funny thing is, though, like, uh, it was a Zoom call. It's during COVID, right? Right. And they're like, you know, they're whatever, 60, 70 years old. And they're like, oh, like the technology. And I'm like, yeah. don't worry. We actually use the same setup. We had like good fucking mics and yeah. stuff. And it was like HD. And I'm they like, beautiful. yeah, yeah. I'm like, is the lighting good? Yeah. Like I turned on lights, you know, yeah. it was fine. Yeah. But, but even, even stuff like that. Right. Yeah. So like we were able to like do that. And then I, I heard my mom ask the doctor questions, the things that she was really concerned about. Mm-hmm. Um, so to answer your question, I think we kind of had our shit in order because we had yeah. a long lead time. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't, um, if I mean, that's one of the things we're going to talk about, like get your shit in order because yeah. like, you don't know if you're going to like, whoever is going to die yep. immediately. Yeah. And, and you totally answered my question. Cause that's the question is like, sometimes if it's spontaneous and you've already had the right conversations and you've done the right things with that person and you feel free, then that death isn't as maybe shocking depends of course age. Or if you have a lot of lead time, you still you can you have time to get those things accomplished. So I think it depends on what that relationship is with that person, um, and probably where you are in your life in general. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, and if it was whatever ten years ago or twenty years ago, yeah. it would not have been the case. Right. But as I'm so wise now, of course, <laughs> yeah, we got some things together. So another piece um, to throw in there is that my dad is a retired firefighter and EMT. So he saw terrible things in fires, in accidents, whatever. And he would probably tell me stories that he shouldn't have told me when I was like a little kid. Mm -hmm. But we pick up stuff from our parents and whoever um, is around us anyway. So I think I have, I developed a very like pragmatic and maybe that's a nice way to say it, but almost unemotional approach to mm-hmm. death, which I've corrected a little bit. Um, you know, you don't want to be a robot. No. But I think he had to do that to do his job yeah. and compartmentalize it and then like treat death really pragmatically. You know, like I said, he saw awful things yeah. and he had to figure out how to, to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And he he has mentioned to me that some of his close friends and coworkers ended up with uh, substance abuse problems to deal with it because they didn't compartmentalize. Now, you know, 
pushing your feelings and emotions in one direction is probably not great. Right. Uh, soaking in alcohol is probably maybe worse. Right. And at least in this case, it certainly worked out worse. Yeah. Um, so th that really shaped how I view death and dying. Like I knew it was possible. I had relatives die along the way. I knew like my two grandparents from the Philippines, they both had cancer when they were about, um, say 68 to 72. Mm -hmm. So that, that is on my side of the family. And then my mom was 72, like clockwork. Right. Yeah. So I have one side that maybe seems a little resistant um, on my dad's side and right. then the other side, not so great. Yes. Um, so I'm like, I'm not sure which I picked up, yeah. where I'm going to land in there. But yeah. I definitely, I was like, there's a good chance mom's going to die right. when she's uh, around 70 from mm -hmm. cancer. So I wasn't surprised when, when we heard um, that, you know, yeah. she got diagnosed. Right. So. Yeah, so that's that's fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping for like the 80s for you, just FYI. Thank like, you. Yeah, put it I, out there for you. I, yeah, and I, I, I'm hopeful, you know, that would split the difference. Yeah. I think I'm healthier than the other people in my family, um, just generally, or at least mm -hmm. I'm trying to be. Yeah. So we'll see. And can you imagine technology, completely off topic, can you imagine technology in the future, when we're talking stem cell research and things like that, like the ability to live longer and better is just going to be exponentially like greater for our generations, right? Right. Thanks for including me in the generation. You're welcome. I'm a little, a little older, but how old are you? Uh, 34. Okay. So yeah. like 10 years older. Yeah. So yeah, kind of yeah. pretty close. Pretty close. Um, well, before we move on to the next uh, segment, potentially a little bit lighter, yeah. I mean, you bring up a good point and it's something like I thought about, I'm like, I don't want to live to be like 95 if the last mm -hmm. 10 years or whatever suck, right? There's a quality of life that's really important. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I flipped it upside down and I was like, I don't want to live that old. So I'm going to drink and treat my body like a playground or whatever. Right. Um, which I don't know if that's the right thing to do, but yeah. yeah. And do you have any thoughts on the quality of life and like the last, whatever, two years, 10 years, whatever? Yeah. It reminds me a bit when I had mentioned one of my aunts died and she was someone who wouldn't like get checked out by the doctor. Um, because I think she was afraid of what might be found. So she went years without the doctor. She had a massage therapist who kept telling her, like, I'm feeling some weird lumps in you. Like, you should go get checked out. And um, she ended up going to the doctor finally because she couldn't breathe. And lung cancer had mm. spread all across her body. And so she actually never left the hospital. So she went in for an appointment and then never left because um, she had to stay there for like two months while she was dying. Um, and that was really a life lesson for me, which is take care of your health, but get checked up. Like you can think you're really healthy, but things lurk in the background that we're not aware of. Our teeth for dental, like, you know, our, it could be cancer, breast cancer or something that we're just not quite paying attention to. So for me, like quality of life comes down to making sure you've got the right people checking you out to make sure that you're okay, but then doing the right things in regards to like exercise for like a woman, it's bone density, you know, like making sure I'm doing some great stuff for my bones over time. Um, having a little bit of fun. I love drinking alcohol, you know, yeah. I'm not going to stop that to try and live for forever. I have a few friends who like want to do like the 200 club, you know, where they live to 200. Oh, really? Yeah. So like they're all about, uh, what is that supplement? Um, 
200. Yeah, it's like a thing that people want to do. And uh, I'll think of the supplement in a bit. But anyway, so I'm not part of that. I'm not interested in that. I'm like a good 90s. Maybe I'll take some stem cell stuff at some point, you know, inject me, uh, (laughs) see how that goes, drink some alcohol, stress, and, uh, and just generally live a good life so that whenever it comes, a Mack truck or peacefully in bed. <laughs> I I don't really have to, to worry about that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That seems, yeah, that all makes sense. I can't disagree. And I think, you know, the alcohol stuff, like we're doing dry, we're recording this in January. I'm doing dry January. Yeah. Elizabeth is as well, my wife. And she has like for several years, but we, um, or I listened recently and some of our friends listened to the Andrew Huberman podcast on alcohol. Do you listen to that show? No, I have not. Okay. There is pretty long. It's, it's like yeah. listening to a college lecture. Yeah. Um, but I guess save you some time on the alcohol one. Yeah. Uh, it's not good for you. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the thing is like, I've built a portion of my life around like beer. Yeah. And it's really fun and there's a good social aspect, but it's definitely, you know, there's a negative side. And luckily I don't have like a alcoholism yes. tendency. So like I can moderate pretty well. Yeah. That said, like I'm trying to think if uh, some of the campfires or other events that we've been at, if I've like just really thrown down, but I- No, I, I've never yeah. seen you. <laughs> no, no, yeah. No. I think um, you were at economy last year. I was. Right? Okay. There was one night where I like had way too much. Yeah. Um, but th- the point is I can moderate pretty well yeah. and it's not a big deal. A lot of times it ends up just being like a habit or a social thing where yeah. it's like, oh, we're going to happy hour. And then, you know, summertime around here is like yeah. go to a brewery. And then it's like really easy to drink every day. Yes. Um, that said, I can take it too far and probably have, unfortunately, I don't know, like 20 stories of me like blacking out, mm-hmm. um, which I think is, well, I don't know. Your mileage may vary. It could be pretty rare depending on who you hang out with. Yeah. Or it could be like really common where you're like, yeah, sure. I blacked out like 20 times right. or whatever, which is probably one of the signs of alcoholism. Yeah, but I think it is. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> depends on who you ask. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so alcohol a, equals bad. Yeah. Yeah. Alcohol is bad. Yeah. I, I, on a totally, I also, I've taken six years off alcohol at points in my life, not because of alcoholism, but just right. because I'm just better. I'm more awake. Um, and recently with these house renos and having a, a new child, we have like really enjoyed the wine because we got a wine club like box okay. of 14 <laughs> bottles. And so we've just been going through them since the holidays. And we actually were like, okay, this is the last bottle that we're opening. And we're going sober for a bit as well. Okay. Not necessarily dry January, but. Yeah. Yeah. And up until, up until like maybe a week ago, I was like, I'm not going to go dry, but you know, if Elizabeth isn't drinking, it's much easier for her mm-hmm. if I'm not drinking. And then if she's not, yeah. it's easier for me not to also, yeah. um, which in a future episode, I'll share a experience that I had recently, which is tangentially related to alcohol. Did I say that word right? Yeah. It always goofs me up. Yeah. A lot of syllables in there. Yeah. It is slightly related, but... It it definitely got my attention, mm-hmm. um, which you know the story, but I'll it's a teaser for a future episode, so people hang on. I like so, it. Okay. okay, we can move on. I think to yeah. you, you had a a dear friend pass away in the last year. Yeah. 
also happened to be a tenant. So can you tell that story? Yeah. So I actually had my child four uh, months and like a week ago. And six days into having a newborn, I get a Facebook message from my friend's mom that says my friend also tenant of two years, uh, was in a fatal accident here in Colorado while climbing a mountain. She fell off the mountain and um, passed away. And of course, that was a shock. I remember waking up at you know 6 a.m. seeing that because she didn't have my phone number. And so she's like, I'm sorry to give it to you in this manner. So of course, I call her. Um, at that point, um, Sarah was living alone in the house. So there was no one there, which was also fortunate because um, we were thinking of getting another tenant or we were we were moving back into the house, but it was, we just had a baby. So we just thought, you know what, we'll just, we'll leave it all alone. Sarah gets to have a wonderful place to live for a few months and then we can figure out what happens next. Um, so yeah, she got that call. I wasn't sure if she had meant like a fatal accident as like, oh, she, you know, like she's broken or something's happened. And then when I talked to her, of course, it was that she'd passed away and that she was um, in the coroner's office in Aspen. Um, and that was a really weird experience because talking to a loved one of someone who died, I have to process this information, but they're processing it and it's not my like job or time to to process it with them. So I remember in that conversation just being like, whatever you guys need, I can be there for you. Like I am in shock at this moment in time, but I don't need to be like crying on the phone with them. This isn't their responsibility to take on my emotions. So I just was like, okay, whatever you need, I'm here. Like I've got a couple of things that I'll, I'll message you about afterwards. So you have my address. We can start talking logistics of getting everything sorted and then um, uh, hung up the phone and then, of course, started processing the fact that my good friend of 13 years passed away unexpectedly. I was supposed to have a phone call with her actually that day when she was on her way back from the Aspen because I just had my baby. So we wanted to talk about it. Um, and so just like processing that we wouldn't have that phone call Um that she's 34 years old, you know, that like all these things that she had going for her are gone, poof. Like all the things she'd been working on for herself and counseling, gone, poof. Like it was a really, I'm still processing that like every time I pull something out, I'm unpacking right now and I pull something out and I'm like, oh, that's Sarah's. And it's like, whoa, mm -hmm. like that's a f like, okay. This is another thing of hers that I just, ha as a reminder, which is actually nice to have a couple things um, that just happen to fit into my stuff. So anyways, um, so now I have a friend, a newborn baby, a friend who died, a newborn baby and a tenant in an empty house. So I have like this like trifecta of things that like, I have no idea to do, I, like what to do here at this moment. So I just decided that the thing I cared about most was making sure my stuff didn't get um wrapped up into her stuff in regards because I had the face place fully furnished. So making sure that I could help her parents pack it up from afar because I was in Vancouver um, while kind of directing them in a nice way of being like, this is my stuff, which was a very weird experience too. being like, this is mine. Don't touch it. This mm -hmm. is Sarah's pack that up, you know, over FaceTime calls. It felt very um, disconnected when there's like this big event I also felt that they kind of treated me like I was her landlord, not her friend, which okay. was really hard for me. Yeah. 
because I had to be that person who was who is a landlord being like, okay, well, we'll get your security deposit back by the middle of next month. Obviously, the lease is ended. You're going to be in the house. So we'll just call it good at the end of this month. I'm not going to ask like, yeah, she has a year lease, but like, I'm not going right. to hold anyone to a year lease. I'm also not going to take her deposit. Like, this is just a really weird situation that I've never experienced. And I don't know any other landlord that I'm friends with that has experienced a death of a tenant mm-hmm. and how to navigate that. Yeah, that is crazy. And the fact that she was your friend yeah. and then like you had to play two roles. Yes. And yeah, her parents, you know, they're upset. Yeah. And they're like, we have to listen. And yeah, it, it's difficult for everybody. Yeah. And then her and, friends were there. She had two friends who were helping to pack up the place. Um, and again, I felt like, you know, Sarah had put some of her jewelry into my um my safe so then i'm having people like get the code to my safe and going through it and they couldn't find it the first time so they gone they had to go through it three different times and then i'm starting to feel uncomfortable because like like just do it once like i also have a newborn i'm going through all these hormones like this is not a really uh this is not a fun situation for anyone involved and again i'm playing two roles it's just it was really odd Mm -hmm. yeah and if you weren't if you weren't friends with Sarah, like, would it, is it possible? So I have like three questions. So is it possible to like sort of prepare ahead of time? Right. Cause you were managing from afar Mm -hmm. for other, you know, you, you were out of town basically. If you were there, maybe a couple of things would have been easier. Like the, you know, just the direction you could have put whatever stickers on stuff and then you don't have to like do the interaction with the FaceTime call or whatever. So yeah, stuff like that. Like, is there anything people can do ahead of time if they're managing remotely or if they have a property manager or something like that. Yeah. So I think it comes down to um, if you're an actual landlord and you're not like friends and landlord, like that weird delineation is odd because my place was furnished with most of my stuff, some of her stuff. So thankfully it was like her room is hers. And then some of this kitchen stuff, some of the stuff in the garage. But if I were to be just a landlord, I would have handled it the exact same way because I could wear those two hats. I wasn't like emotionally, when I was talking business, I would talk business. It wasn't like Sarah's dead. It would be like, okay, here's your deposit. And so that's the things that I guess to to answer your question is you have to be a landlord first in those situations and making sure you're taking care of your business because that's what you're doing is you're running a business. So you have to know the laws of the state. If someone dies, like there are probably laws in regards to what you can do. Like you let them out of their lease right away. Like They're not there. So if some people might try and be shady and like keep some money. It's like, no, 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 you let them out. Um, you, you know, you help the parents out as much as you can, but it's also not your responsibility to help them grieve or do things or go above and beyond if you don't need to or don't have the capacity or don't have the money to. So that's something to keep in mind too is that like they're in an unfortunate situation, but so are you because your business is going to be affected. So keeping that landlord hat while being empathetic towards the situation is probably what be my first piece of advice. And then just continue to follow the law like you already should be doing as a landlord. Okay. And then as a, I'm not into real estate, mm-hmm normally do is that something that you were aware of beforehand like nope okay so people can go look up the laws but it's people usually don't talk about it they're like more excited about doing other stuff so they're not like here's this weird contingency that like we probably won't have to deal with correct yeah and like i I don't have anything in my lease about what happens if someone were to pass away that was my next question yeah Yeah. so is it you know you have to make it 
match the laws of the state or yeah. whatever the whatever laws you have to match. Um, but that would be a good proactive thing to put into contracts, probably, right? Yeah, well, and or at least. I like to have really frank discussions with people. Not that like you want to have a discussion with each tenant, but I think even having just that, a quick line or paragraph, talk with your lawyer or check the state um, laws, but having like, if something were to happen, you know, is a contract void 30 days later? Is it void at the end of the month? Like, how does that work in regards to, um, yeah, again, your business? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So don't put in a when you die section, you have to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've got, you owe me another year's worth of rent <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> and I'm going to take your deposit. Nope, you still have to abide by the law. So like for me, for the deposit, it was like she was responsible for utilities for that month um, and for the past month because she hadn't paid yet. So it's like I did an itemized thing, had the house cleaned and then, you know, put it all into a, an invoice, send it to her parents with the rest of the deposit back. And that's like that's how we handled that situation. Okay. Yep. Within the right amount of time. Gotcha. And then did you run into any issues or it was just uncomfortable? It was just really uncomfortable. Um, No issues like from a landlord perspective, other than the fact that I now had an empty unit um, and we were supposed to move back in three months to that unit. So what are we doing now with the extra time? So just finding someone to fill that, like making the decision, do I fill it right away or do I leave it empty for a bit? So we left it empty just for like 15 days. It ended up being, um, and then I just got some new people in there. Um, so that mortgage was covered. Okay. So it wasn't too big of a deal. No, overall. I think I'm very proactive with a lot of stuff. So mm-hmm. I like to say I handled it really well um, for having a six day old. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't mean to d- yeah. discount. Like, so every, everything was easy. Yeah. yeah. Right. No, no, it okay. Actually, it, it all worked out. Like it really <laughs> did. And ev- like, we're, I'm still in contact with our family just from time to time. We say hello. Um, and so, so everything was handled very well because emotions are really high in those times. And that's the thing you get into like weird conflicts with people because everything's odd. Like one of the odd things that happened was they had promised me um, to have Sarah's bed, um, her mattress and her desk. Um, and because my house was furnished, I wanted to offer it furnished again. And so they wanted to take some things, but not others. And so they said, yeah, yeah, you can have these things. And I was like, great. And then her friend after everything was done we were all done and sorted her friend texts me like four days later and saying that she's coming on friday to come or she's gonna come and pick up the like the bed and this other thing and i was like wait a second like we had all agreed that this was going to be mine also i don't feel like i'm entitled to anything so i'm not going to take something i like i don't i don't need to be a part of this if if this is the decision that people have made but like you can't keep coming back to the property like week after week i need to like move on now for my business and emotionally from this situation. So anyways, she ended up, I had to be like, what's going on here? Because this is really odd. You can't just start coming in and taking things. So then I was like, you just need to take everything then. Cause I'm mm-hmm. not going to have this coming back every week. And so she decided she'd wanted it and okay. went back on what she'd said. And that was just really odd. And I just, I, I chalk up a lot of things to grief and sure. people making odd decisions. Okay. All right. Ready to move on to the next? Let's do this. Okay. So this is um, this is a great question, and I'm going to let you read it because okay. it's so good. Well, if you and I were to die tomorrow because I decided to help out with this podcast and took Carl's spot, and your last guest decided to maybe poison you and Carl, and I happened to be drinking from the mug. <laughs> I took a sip of the mug. Um and this poison was intended for Carl, but I got caught in this crossfire. So what would be one thing 
that you, Doug, have done right in your life and you're thankful for that you'd like to share with our listeners? It's a tough one. And I, I like the way you phrased the question. So I'm sure I'll, I'll I'm going to throw in a few caveats. I'm sure I'll think of other things in the future. I I'm proud and thankful that I figured out how to chill out and not take life too seriously. I think for at least half my life, maybe longer, mm-hmm. very serious and just, I probably left a wake of, uh, you know, whatever hurt feelings, destruction, whatever behind me mm-hmm. and just like frustration with myself, other people, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I've chilled out and I don't take things too seriously. Yeah. I was just describing you today as oh, chill. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I literally was saying that to my partner. Just chill. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's pretty good. And hopefully, you know, I'll think of more things in the future. What about you? For me, I feel like in my 34 years, I have lived life very fully and built great relationships because I've worked on myself. And I'm really proud of the countries I've visited, the things I've done, and the communities I've built throughout my life. And I think that that would be a good legacy for me. Like I did that right. Nice. Mm -hmm. Very good. And if people want to hear about some of the places you've been before, you've actually been on this show a few other times. Carl and I interviewed you. I think it was a pretty long interview, but we'll link up to that and people can hear your story, places you visited and like, you know, the journeys and adventures you've been on. Love it. Yes. Yep. Next question here. And actually, before we go on, we encourage you out there, listeners and viewers to ask yourself the same question and the next one even more so. So this one, what would be two things that you feel you need to wrap up? For me, I have not done the proper estate planning for my multiple houses now that I have a kid. So I just got life insurance. Good job. Mm. Uh, But I don't have any wills or trusts. So if I were to die tomorrow um, from this poison, um, everything would go into probate and I'm not married to my partner. So like things just would get very complicated. So I wanted, I need to, and I'm actually in the process. I met with a lawyer yesterday uh, to button up the trust for the family um, to make sure everyone's taken care of. And then my other thing um, is my mom hasn't met my kid yet. And that to me would be, I'd be dead. So I probably wouldn't actually feel sad, but that would be sad not to be able to see her interact with my child for the first time. Is that something you'll be able to do soon or? Yeah, she's um, doing the snowbird thing. So she's coming from Canada, which is where I'm from, uh, to Phoenix. They're actually driving right now. They decided not to drive through Colorado, even though that uh, makes me annoyed. Um, and she will at some point fly up in the next few months. But I mean, a four-month-old versus a, a newborn versus a six-month-old are very different babies. And so I'm sad she doesn't get to see this time. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's good. It's in the, in it's the, in the planning. Works. Yeah. And There's, you? Yeah. So th- this is a tough one. I know two things. One of them is basically what you said, like some of the estate planning. So like we do have a will, my wife and I are married. We have no kids. Things are a little bit simpler overall. And we actually 
I won't get into it too much, but we did do a, a simple will recently just to make sure there's no issues. There's a couple odd laws here in Colorado, um, even if you are married, mm-hmm. where certain funds go and we didn't want it to get hung up, yeah. which is beyond the scope of you know this conversation. The the other part, and so I, I won't even count that one because like it's kind of the same as yeah. what yours is. Um, I think I've done a pretty good job with like relationships, Mm -hmm. but I know there's like, there's more to do, right? So Mm -hmm. I could like tell people I love them, spend more time with them. Mm -hmm. As I mentioned, I spent a lot of time with both my parents um, before my mom passed away. So that was really good. You know, huge amount of time went on a big trip. And because of my flexible um, working schedule as I'm self-employed, I've been able to like spend a ton of time with them as an adult in the last few years where, you know, usually um, when people are, you know, around our age, like they're not seeing their parents too often. It's just like really quick trips over holidays where there's like whatever dozens of other people around. You don't really get to spend that kind of quality time. Yeah. So I think I, there's probably some relationships, uh, both friends and family where I could do a better job with that. Yeah. And I just haven't put in the time or made it a priority. Um. I'm sure there's a handful of other things, but, uh, you know, relationships are probably one of the most important things, you know, some stuff yeah. like be healthier, like it doesn't yeah. really, like if you're about to die, like yeah. that, I mean, you've been poisoned. Yeah. You're going. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, kind of get your shit in order. And again, you know, going back to the, some of the original points of like my pragmatism around death, I feel like I have gotten things in order and I've thought, you know, I think about death every day. Yeah. Um, not in a morbid way, but yeah. just like, you know, yeah. kind of get reality. your shit together. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, um, do you have any, anything you would suggest where it's like, oh, maybe you could work on that, Doug? Oh. You can come back to it. That's a. Yeah. I'll, at the end of the, this episode, okay. I'll let you know. Okay. And same for you. Okay. Throw I'll it my way. <laughs> I'll try to think of anything. <laughs> um, okay. And what we can do here is you have a very nice uh, observation. So I'll let you talk about that. Well, one of the things I think about when it comes to death, a lot of people find this topic a bit overwhelming, um, maybe scary. I can understand that. It's a, a big unknown. And one of the things that some of us, especially in the finance world, want to do is control like finances after we're dead. You know, maybe, oh, we'd especially if you're in the fire world and you've been frugal and you're like, oh, I would not want my kid to spend it on like a sports car, like the money or something like that. One of the things I think about is just like, I'm gonna be dead. I won't feel, I won't think, I'm just dead. So like, let it go. And that's just, I don't know if any of you out there, you know, maybe this is a topic that freaks you out a bit and maybe you've already turned us off. So great, Um, this can't help you. But having that pragmatic like, like I'm just dead um, is a really removed and nice way of thinking about your own demise. Um, and one of the things I liked, I, I was Googling online, uh, you know, I was checking the Google to see like, oh, in case of death, like what do you need to do or whatever? Um, or I said something about death um, and dying. And I saw an online article that was like, in case of death binder, which to me was a very silly thing because it should say like, when I inevitably die, here's what you need to know. Yeah. Because it's not in case you will die. Just yeah. FYI. Yeah. Did did you before Googling? Did you ever think about you know putting together such a uh, you know binder or set of information? 
Yes, actually, uh, 13 years ago, I have a written will. So my oldest will is actually 13 years in Colorado. You're allowed to write out your own will as long as you have, it's only one other witness who is not a party to that will. Um, so I have still in my little binder, um, a written version, but it doesn't include my houses and things have gotten a lot more complicated. So that is the latest will I have. Um, I also have all of my passwords written down. I have a safe. I've told every single family member of mine the safe code. They never remember it. Um, I've also told them where the safe key is. They don't remember because I'll quiz them from time to time. Um, and actually, when I talked to the lawyer yesterday, one of the things she said was email is one of the best ways to communicate this stuff to people because at least you can search through your email. And so when I've like texted them my code, I will not say it here, um, you know, the text messages get erased after a while or phones change. Um, so I've thought about this a lot and have done proactive things. I just have gotten to the point where my life is too big for the things I've done and I need to do it in a more concrete way. Got it. This is pretty good 13 years ago. And um, for, for me, so I've been married, uh, yeah, 13 years actually. Yeah. And I don't think, maybe we talked about it a little bit and I don't remember specifically, but it was probably say six or seven years ago where we didn't put together a full binder, mm -hmm. but, and we're actually going to go over where yeah. we'll list out the things that you should at least think about. Mm -hmm. And it's not comprehensive, but it'll get you, it'll make things a lot easier for your family and friends when you do die. Yeah. And we put together some stuff like this. So like you said, uh, passwords, like, you know, I, I use um, like LastPass. Mm -hmm. So I have like a master password mm -hmm. that is in a safe that, you know, my wife can get to so she can get into the accounts and make things a little bit easier. Of course, we do the easy stuff like set your beneficiaries yes. properly and some of the things that, you know, it's just admin and paperwork shit. But people don't do that stuff too. So like right. you're saying it's the easy stuff, but I can guarantee yeah, a fourth of the people <laughs> listening have not set the beneficiaries on their accounts. You right. know, I don't know, maybe this crowd, but. Yeah, ho ho hopefully we're better than that. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah, and those are the easy things where you can like log into the account, like put it in. Yeah. Like you don't have to get a financial advisor no. and pay them a lot of money to tell them, tell you to like fill out your fucking account yeah. properly. <laughs> exactly. So so we, we've done a handful of things. And, you know, the things that do make it a little easier just from a practical standpoint are those accounts, yep. the money being able to log into certain areas to like, um, you know, do what you have to do or get access to the money and like transfer the money out or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we can maybe list this death binder if you want to just bullet point them out. Okay. All right. Pen and paper people. Will, a living trust, power of attorney, life insurance policy, birth certificate, marriage license, Bank and credit card accounts. So putting beneficiaries on any, not the bank accounts, because those are normally, um, it's not technically a beneficiary. Um, loan documents, automobile titles, property deeds, um, copies of your keys to your house, making sure someone has access to that. Um, your automobiles, maybe a safe deposit box, um, things like that. Uh, accounts and device passwords. So having some sort of master last pass um, or even paper one, even though those don't get updated very often. And I'm going to let you say the last one. Okay. So this one is one that I added and it's a CEO plan. And basically like Amberly and I have businesses, there's stuff going on. There's other accounts. There are processes and things going on. And if either of us died, 
um, our significant others would need to like shut it down or do something with it. And I've even heard of people having like CEO insurance where they would like, like there's a, a policy where they can hire someone that like covers the salary for someone to like shut down your business mm -hmm. or transition it or whatever. Yeah. I've never looked at such a policy, yeah. but it's out there. Yeah. And, you know, for me, this has actually been on my list for years and it's, um, I, I just haven't done it. Yeah. So some things are kind of organized and I, I would need to, you know, put together a plan where, you know, in my case, I would probably shut down the business. Yeah. Maybe um, some pieces are assets and yeah, I could dismantle it. It's an online, you know, business courses, stuff like that. So yeah. it's all digital, but I could dismantle it. Um, certain pieces could be sold off to, you know, I could actually give a list like here's competitors who would like to buy this. Yes. That sort of thing and make it, you know, much easier. I don't think my wife would administer it, but that would be another thing where I'm like, okay, like use some funds to hire someone. Here's three people I recommend yes. to shut it down. Maybe I check with them ahead of time. Yeah. And then, you know, make sure they understand like, okay, you're going to get whatever 50K to do this. Yeah. You have six months. Yeah. Shut it down. Right. Basically. So, you know, if you are running a business, if you have a real estate mm -hmm. empire or whatever, like, it's yeah. complicated and someone would have to go in and like read all your emails and figure out yeah. like what the fuck is going on like, who what are is my tenants person? right yeah. <laughs> like how do you get how do you pay off these mortgages yeah if like you're not getting rent checks in because you don't have access to my accounts or, or even know where they're coming to yeah yep so have you thought about putting something together like this well now i have um so <laughs> actually i am that person for my sister she owns a plotty studio in denver and actually Six years ago, she approached me and said, hey, I just want to give you information for if something were to happen to me, how does the studio work? Who do you need to contact? Like, who's my studio manager? And for her, it was to keep the business going for like a couple months until maybe it could get sold. Um, but it didn't need to be shut down right away. We're like, Amberly Grant Finance could just be shut down right away. My real estate stuff could not, right? That's right. something that we've got leases and other things. Um, it's also an income source for my partner. Um, so for my sister... I am, I've understood what her wishes are. Um, probably needs to be updated. It's been six years. And then my stuff, I have not, my partner knows a little bit, but this isn't his strong suit in life. There's a reason I've built this, not him. Uh, he's just walked into it, becoming my partner now. Um, so him and I've talked about like what he would need to do because he doesn't want to run real estate. Right. That's my thing. Right. So selling. Okay. whatever it might be. And luckily, you know, in, in our area, like we know, like, you know, a lot of people that could pick up the real estate, yes. like you, it would be, probably be pretty straightforward yeah. for someone to see, like you, you have good assets and they would want those. Yes. Right. So it would not be a big. Yeah. I never thought about that. Actually. I've got a, a whole yeah. pool of people who would definitely want that income. Right. Yep. And on, yeah, on my end, it's maybe a little more complicated, but a lot of it, I mean, yeah. it, it can just be shut down. There's some support, some different things, but you know, largely I'll be dead. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and like, good, good, hey, good saying. we can just shut this shit down yep. and it's fine. And yeah. I know at least on our, our end, I mean, it, it cash flows fine, but like yeah. we're not relying on the income specifically. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not a huge deal. And then, you know, in the past, like, like we don't have kids, but yeah. 
like life insurance would make more sense. It doesn't really matter now. I have more, you know, at one point, I got tricked into some uh, whole life insurance back in the day, right? Mm -hmm. So there is like a policy out there that would pay some, but at this point, it doesn't matter. Like my assets uh, dwarf that uh, big time. So it doesn't even matter. So yeah, we'll talk about that on that, like will and and life insurance stuff, because I've got some things to say about that. Very good. Yeah. yeah. And, and I don't, I don't think we mentioned it before, but yeah, well, it's actually like a series on death and there, there's yeah. will and trust and what, yeah. what are some of the other topics related to it? Or is that? Yeah. Is life that insurance. Like, what does that look like? How to get it? Okay. Because um, I think both of us have gone through this process just recently. So we're right. going to talk about that. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, anything else before we close out with advice from a hospice chaplain? Nothing from me. All right. Yeah. Well, I'll let you close it out here. And I think this is um, pretty powerful and I'm going to let you just run with it. Yeah. I called my aunt and I said, hey, we're doing this episode. Like what should people know or think about when they're preparing to die um, since we're spending our entire lives preparing to die? And one of the things that she'd mentioned was exploring your belief system just to have an anchor to support you. So you can be religious or spiritual or whatever it is, but start thinking about the topic of death. Maybe read some near-death experience stories um, and talk about it with loved ones. One of the examples she gives is, do you want to be buried or cremated? And if you've never talked to your partner about that, they don't know what to do when they're in that state of, you know, emotions and they're going to not know what you need um, or wanted. Um, So just having those types of conversations with people that you love is really important. And I think the most important for especially this FI crowd, um, because I think this really pertains to all of our lives, like the idea that if you are working your job and you are like waiting to retire, but you don't have hobbies or friends, more than likely you are going to have no hobbies and no friends at the end of you know your working career. And so how you do anything is kind of how you do everything is, is one of the sayings. And my aunt says, people do die the way they live their life. Meaning, If you are fearful your whole life and you don't go on adventures or seek knowledge or um, put yourself into interesting or different situations, death is going to be a fearful, scary place. Um, So if you can start becoming comfortable and standing up to those maybe difficulties that you have of facing things, death will be a much easier process when it comes along. And it's just something to think about. How you live your life is how you will die. Yeah, that makes, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Have you observed that in any capacity and you could take that however you want? Yeah. Um, I, I think the way that I live, like for my own example, for my own self, I don't know, I've been in like a near-death experience, but the most... The thing I think about is like, I live my life in a very adventurous, curious way. And so this topic of death to me isn't this overwhelming, scary situation. It's this like adventure that I'm going to go on one day. And at the end of it, I will not have a body here on this earth. Like it will be in the ground or cremated, just Mm -hmm. so everyone knows. Um, And that's like, that's how I live my life. And so I think this topic doesn't scare me and, and my aunt who passed away, like she was fearful. Like she lived a very kind of like shut in type of life. And 
my dad actually was really great to be with her almost every single day for the last two months. And he said that she was really fearful and scared until they had a lot of conversations over those two months to really release all the things that she'd been like Mm -hmm. fearful and like scared about and like kind of held on to. Um, So at the end she was peaceful, but in that two months beforehand, it was really tumultuous for her because she hadn't faced all those things. Um, Mm. And that's not the way to live the last few months of your life. Yeah. Man. What about you? Yeah, and I, I'm thinking, you know, since I was so close to my mom when she yeah. was dying the last week or so, um, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I mean, she was in a lot of pain, so like it was, yeah, it was very tough. And then, you know, we gave her the morphine and whatever other drugs were in the cocktail yeah. to make her feel a little more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to think, so I don't, I don't have an answer. I'm just mumbling on about, um, you know, trying to think like, did she, did she die how she lived? And the thing is, you know, if you look at the last year or so, mm-hmm. then I would say, yeah, you know, like she talked to us kids individually together, like made sure we understood certain things that yeah. she found important. Yeah. And the last week, right, when she's, you know, literally dying, we're like, yeah. we're trying to just give her a couple ounces of water each day, like yep. that kind of stuff. Yep. Like, you know, it's tough, tough to draw that back. I think yeah. those are like the the last, the last days are really tough, especially like the, she wasn't in a hospital. So, right. yeah. And um, there's some really great um, literature from a nurse and maybe I can find it and we can stick it in there, but it's basically like a death book where she, um, in those last weeks, there's actually like a very specific way that people die. Um, so you might have been explained that by your chaplain or like hospice nurse or whoever it is, but like there are specific signs. And so like, I think you can, that's not the same as like dying the way you lived, right? right. Like yeah, yeah, everyone's yeah. going to go through like lethargy or fearfulness or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. And Actually, we had a couple of those books. Yeah. Like I, I remember, yeah, they're just little pamphlets, yeah. you know, whatever, 10 pages. Yep. But it, it, I have one at home and I was going to bring it and I forgot to grab oh. it. So, yeah, yeah. And I think like your hospice provider would mm-hmm. like, they give you those, like they try to give you the tools yes. that you need or at least like provide them. Yeah. And it's up to you to like do something with it or not. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Any other broad points? before we finish up. Um, the last thing I was going to say, I have a, a good friend um, who's been on the podcast a few times, Mark Troutman. Um, he gave a really great piece of advice um, after his wife passed away, which was a lot of people will shy away from you when you have a loved one pass because it's really hard for them to maybe, um, you know, like think about this topic. And the thing he said wasn't people asking, like you don't need to ask someone about how they're day is going or like how are they feeling right like obviously you feel like shit so one thing you can ask is how are you doing in this moment because a moment can be happy or sad or painful or whatever it is and so asking someone how are you doing right now in this moment is a bit better to quantify all those feelings of grief than how are you doing because no one's doing great yeah it sucks yeah Okay. One one thing I'll I'll wrap up with here on potentially a lighter note. And you'll Great. let me know what you think of think yeah. about this. So I think, you know, for my whatever memorial mm-hmm. after I want to be cremated too, by the way. Excellent. Okay. Um so want it to be like fun, a party, yeah. barbecue, beer, you know, good time and all that. And the 
I, I was thinking about it and I was like, well, I want it to be fun. And then I thought, well, I want to be there. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, <no>. but, um, <laughs> I hear the word barbecue <laughs> and cremation yeah. and you want to be there. Continue. Yeah. So I was like, why not just have a party, but do it like whatever now, yeah. like oh. why, when I can experience it. And then here in Long Pond, we have a, uh, it's like a brewery bus or whatever. And it yeah. goes around to whatever the 10 or 12 breweries in town every hour. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I could have like a, you know, a Doug memorial, but while I'm still alive, so I can yeah. go party with my friends, which is like, that's what I want. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Is that crazy? And then it could be like in memory of like, and we all wear t-shirts. It has with my face, face on, on it. it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I'll be there and I'll have one of the t-shirts yeah. and they're like, dude, you're not dead. Yeah. And I'm like, this is my memorial. I just yeah. wanted to go to it. I don't know. I love this idea and I will show up. Even if I, I'm doing a no alcohol time, <laughs> yeah. I'll drink that beer for you. Uh, yeah, I think that's great. Maybe we should all do it and then we can have all these little parties. Yeah. And it's um, a memorial, yeah. but you're around to enjoy it. Yeah. Okay. It's an idea. I think it's just a birthday party. I think I just described a birthday party. <laughs> That's exactly what you did. You just changed the words on the shirt. Yeah. We made birthday parties sad. Yeah. yeah. But also happy and fun. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Cool. Well, Amberly, this has been an emotional ride and I think enlightening. Thank you for having that conversation with me. Yeah. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the show. That was the Mile High Five podcast, and I'm Doug Cunnington, the Balder host, and Carl Jensen is the cool, sexy one. If you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show. We really don't care who you tell. Maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. It's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word. It's like giving us a virtual high five, and uh, actually, we don't give high fives in in person, so the virtual kind's pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using, and that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally, and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, this show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week. So before we got started with this recording here, I had a guitar lesson. So yes. I'm taking some guitar lessons and I don't know. Do you play any instruments? No, I'm terrible with in instruments. Absolutely terrible. Okay. Have you played at all or just? Oh, I've tried many <laughs> things. The only thing that I've somewhat gotten into is piano. Okay. And dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. So what, what stuff did you try? Like, what was the thing that you really wanted to be able to play? I really wanted to be able to play the guitar. Okay. Like, I thought that was so cool. I was in a band. I attempted to play guitar in the band. I just could not get it. I, I am musically challenged is what I say. Yeah. I did take singing lessons for okay. like a year and very much improved my singing. And that's ultimately what I'd like to do is feel comfortable to sing in front of people one day. Okay. But I stopped those. And so I need to go back sometime. 
Okay, that's cool. Well, I was going to say, I mean, I was going through the lesson today and going through a couple exercises and I played guitar technically for like 20 plus years. Mm. However, I think I learned for maybe two and then like didn't learn anymore, just played the same thing for like yeah. 18 years. And then I just started learning something new in the last year. It was like a toddler trying to learn how to play something. Yeah. I mean, it was slow. It didn't sound right. It was terrible for like two to three weeks. Yeah. And then it clicked. Mm -hmm. And then there was another probably two to three months and then something else clicked. Yeah. So you may, I mean, I believe you if you're like, ah, yeah. I don't, I want to spend time elsewhere, but yeah. it is, it sounds awful until it doesn't. So you may, I mean, cause the basics of guitar, like yeah. you probably can do a couple of things, yeah. but I can put my fingers on frets and <laughs> strum. Definitely. Just not quite right. Yeah. Well, I actually watched my ex. He, um, wanted to learn guitar. He used to play bass and he's very talented in a lot of ways but he wanted to play guitar and i watched him every single night for three hours he would do his guitar lessons on like the, the mm -hmm. you can pay for some people online right. every night and then he started building guitars and he became really really good and so i admire the consistency which that persistence will actually get you somewhere yeah i wasn't persistent enough. right i was also like in grade five so okay yeah yeah well if you need to borrow a guitar yes. i have a couple and you could Take it home, <laughs> check it out. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I think if you if you wanted to put more time into it, I bet you'd be okay. But yeah. if you took the singing lessons, you know, stick with that. I need a vocalist. Perfect. <laughs> Mile high five band. <laughs>